the optimal life. What I found fascinating about you is that I saw a blurb about some multiple thousands of days that you were 4, trying 000, to be for go what's the number 4718 days but who's counting <laughs> i will <laughs> 4718 days it took you to conceive to get pregnant to see my very first positive pregnancy test yes so not even not even have the child but just to see a positive pregnancy test what does that equate to in terms of years 12 years, 11 months. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So go back. You started trying to conceive at what age? At 20. I got married. So on my wedding night, I wanted to have a honeymoon conception. Mm. <laughs> and it didn't work. Little did you know. <laughs> exactly. Little did you know what you were getting yourself into. Exactly. Like I always desire like, okay, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have, you know, best honeymoon baby. Nine months later, you know, we'll have a baby. And that wasn't the road that I took. So take us through it. We'll, we'll try to keep it at a high level, but take us through okay. the months and, and even the years as you're going on. You, you got, you got married, you wanted to be a young mom mm -hmm. and the first month, nothing. The second month, nothing. Okay, fine. The six month, nothing, the 12 month, the 24, like once you get into after a full year of trying and still nothing's happening, it, does that start impacting your relationship with your husband? Absolutely. It was a very, every month my period came, it was just very sad. Like, you know, you just, you, your parents tell you you don't have sex because you're going to get pregnant. So you think when you finally have sex, you're going to get pregnant. So it was just very frustrating. And I'm a very like controlling, you know, like to manipulate things to go my way type person. And this is one thing that I had no control over. So, yes, it was a very strenuous time. It made sex unfun. Because, you know, we had to time it and it's like, OK, let's do this now. So it was just very strenuous right. at, the, so, at that time. So the sex becomes unenjoyable and yeah. because it's becoming, it becomes more of a mission. You're not doing this out of, I mean, Love you're not doing this out of the pure enjoyment. Yeah. This is not passion. This is like, Hey, it's it like, it's time. let's get, let's get it done. <laughs> and what do you, do you start seeing changes in your husband at that time? I mean, the, the stress is on you, but it, it's gotta be just as stressful on him, maybe in some other ways. Yes. And because he had a daughter from a previous relationship. So, you know, this was new for him and he wanted to make me happy and do everything that, you know, a good husband would do, but it just took a toll on our relationship. So he's my ex-husband, but he was very supportive during the process. I can say that. How many years were you guys together? We were married 10 years. You were married but 10? At, married 10 years, but at year five, he confessed to cheating. Okay. And yeah. We'll get it. We'll get into some of that. We'll, okay. We'll get into some of that. But I'm curious, when do you finally have your first break? Do you, do you have, when is your first emotional breakdown? Do you remember? My first emotional breakdown, I would say at six months. Six months. Six That's months. soon. It was the end because I, like I said, I just never not thought it couldn't happen to me. And then also being a preschool teacher and seeing other, you know, people getting the desires of their heart, it was just very hard. So I've had to take a break from that industry because I just couldn't handle it. 
what were some of the things you guys were doing? Were you, I mean, you're obviously timing it to the uh, to your uh, ovulation cycle, ovulation. right? Yep. So you're going timing it, yeah. medication. So I was taking clomiphene, um, five, you know, every day for five days to help with ovulation, and it really had to be time. So between. 12, you know, 12 o'clock on the dot, we got to have sex. Like it was just very mechanical. Mm. And we did that. We did um, timed intercourse for six months because of my, so because of my age, I was only 20. And then, so they didn't really think it was serious. So they wanted to do the least, you know, measures before they got to the big stuff. So we did time intercourse with medication. We did IUIs and we did an IVF and it was all unsuccessful. So when you have that first breakdown that you're crying, you're upset six months into it, how does your husband respond at the time? Did he did he respond in the way you expected him to or or did it make you even more upset the way he responded? No, he responded good. He was very, you know, empathetic and he was consoling me and he was there all along the way. So as a husband, he did his part in trying to make me happy. And, you know, he even allowed me not to work. I was a stay-at-home wife. He let me travel with him because he was in the military. So we would, you know, go all these different places. So that was a good break in okay. what we were trying to accomplish. And then as you get into the second year, you know, 13 months through 24 months, mm-hmm. and even until maybe a little beyond that, uh, what, what's what's happening to your, your, your personal life, your relationships with maybe your friends, family, coworkers, do you feel yourself changing because you're so consumed with this one thing? Was I changing? I was, well, the, when we went through it, I was silent. So nobody really knew what I was going through. It was just me and him. And then when I had my failed IVF with him, that's when I became vocal about my infertility. I was very ashamed, you know, like the one thing that you're supposed to be able to do in life and you can't do it. So there was really, I guess, from the outside looking in, I probably was more distant, Mm. you know, as far as changing in my personality, but nobody really knew the struggle that we were going through. Now, would family and friends that were close to you ask you, so when are you, would they ask you, when's the baby, when are you going to have a baby you guys want to, right? You get those questions. How would you respond yeah. to those? I was just like, in God's time, I was just like, whenever God's, you know, I would kind of like joke it off. Like, well, whenever God allows it to happen, that's when it'll happen. Mm. Yeah. That's what. That's a good sign for people that are don't want to talk about something that's sensitive, right? When they joke yes. something off. Yes. We don't think about it because people joke things off all the time. But quite yep. often when somebody's joking something off, it's because There's it's so painful behind closed doors that this is the only way to cope with it. Yep. Yes, I did it. Mm. When did the IVF, uh, the failed IVF occur? How many years was that? So we did five IUIs before doing the IVF. So that was year six. Yeah, five so we IUI. Were what, 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 I'm sorry, real quick, Erica. What is an IUI? IUI is intrauterine insemination. So what they do is the husband or the partner ejaculates into a cup. They wash it, and then you know it's still time. And then they just put the sperm directly into my uterus in hopes that the egg will drop, collect, and go into the fallopian tube. Okay, and they do that five times in. in, in yeah. What's the duration? How over the course of how so long? So every month, 
every month. So it was five months. So I did it every month for five months. Every month for five yeah. months. And this is into year six, give or take. And every month into those, you're still getting the exact same result that you got for the prior 60 months. Yes. Yep. Okay. So nothing happened. So then so took, let me so just I ask you, a- let me just ask you, Erica, at that point, mm-hmm. Does there come a point where it's like this? This is probably never going to happen for me. I mean, at some point, it must be like I need. I, I didn't. I did think I was never going to be able to be a mother. I really did. I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can, you know, make make. You know, I can't buy it and make it happen. But my mother kept giving me the phrase, "It hasn't happened yet." Like she always believed. Like even when I couldn't believe that it would happen, and I was just like. I don't see it because even if I had to pay, it was just so astronomical. Because it cost seven. So with that cycle, the IVF cycle, it cost seven thousand dollars, and it was unsuccessful. Now, when you say the IVF cycle, is that the next part after the IUIs, or the IUIs part of that? Yeah. So I did. So I did five IUIs, which was separate from the IVF. Then I took a break so I can save to do the IVF. So we took a three-year break. Oh, wow. Okay. So so year six, you do the IUIs, still no success. Mm-hmm. Was the IUI an mm-hmm. expensive process? No. So because he was military, we only had to pay for the sperm washing. And that was only $160. Okay. So, so that's that affordable. Wasn't... That's affordable. Mm-hmm. But but and then you took you took time off to why, why did you wait? Why did you wait? Just because it was so expensive to do the we next had step. To just, yeah. yeah. So we took time off to save and I got, I started working again so that I didn't have to like take out a loan and stuff like that. So just to, you know, not have to go against our savings and we could just pay it straight out. You mentioned before we move forward that at the five year mark, he was unfaithful to you. Yes. And at the six-year mark, you guys are doing this IUI process. So let me ask you the first, when did you find out that he was cheating? Well, I figured he cheated at year three, to be honest, because he joined the military at that time. And when he came back, he had a tattoo with my name on it. So I figured it was more like he got the tattoo out of guilt, but I never questioned or, you know, went deep into why. I just let it be. Then when he was over in Afghanistan, he sent me an email confessing to him cheating. And then that's when it put two and two together. So I believe it was when he was in AIT that the actual act took place. But when he emails you, is that is that in year five? Like he tells you right away? He does. He told me, he told me, no. So he cheated in year three and he confessed. In year five, he cheated in year three. He confessed in year five. Mm-hmm. And when he comes and when he comes home, I, how how do you guys reconcile that? So we went to counseling. We we went to counseling. We tried to work it through and talk through it, and you know build that trust back up and become friends. But it's just, you know, he still you, had a wandering eye. Did he? And we didn't have children, so it was no point to kind of salvage it. Did he um, at in the sessions with the therapist and and one on one with you? Would he say that the this issue, this this elephant in the room, this trying to conceive a child, has taken such a toll on the relationship 
that it really ruined the relationship. I assume that was a common point. He feels like uh, several things ruined it, but he feels like that's an attributing factor as well as he saw it in growing up. He saw what? He saw cheating growing up. Like his father would. Yeah. So his father would cheat and his mother would just, you know, turn her eyes to him. Do you believe that if you were able to conceive a child in the first year or two, that he would have cheated on you in year three? I believe so. I just think that's just his nature. Yeah. Okay. So you were able to give him a, a second chance, we'll call it. Yes. And I believe guys- in trying and, you know, working through. So, yes. Looking back, if somebody's in the same position that you were in, a, a girlfriend comes to you and says, hey, you know, so-and-so is cheating. Would you recommend the therapy or do you believe that now that you've gone through it, the odds of it working out are, are slim to none still? I believe in therapy. I believe in love. I believe, you know, people make mistakes and you can work through anything if you choose to. With our relationship, we only knew each other a total of five months from the time we got married from the time we met until the time we got married. So with us, it was just not in the cars. But for someone else, it could be. So I would never say, oh, well, it's over. Don't do it. I always, if you believe in that person and you want that person, fight as hard as you can until it's no longer worth it. Mm. Do you believe that, uh, you clearly believe people should get second chances if somebody, if he were to have cheated on you again in year six or seven, would you have given him a third chance? No, because the, it's a choice. You chose to do. I felt like the, the the betrayal, the fact that you could just not have a conversation with me and go sleep with somebody else, that was hard for me. But I still was trying to understand why he did it. Mm-hmm. But for me, because I'm a very loyal person and I would never do anything like that, I can't say, well, just keep accepting that kind of behavior now. So you guys, do you guys end up getting divorced at, at, after 10 years, you said? Yes. You did. And you're still childless at this point. Yes, I was childless. So 10 years and that's goes how by. I met my- mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and so now you're about 30, give or take. Yep. I'm 30. And a whole decade has gone by and you still don't have the one thing that you've wanted since the day you got married back at the age of 20. Yes. So when the divorce happens, talk to us about your mental and emotional state at that point. Uh, When the divorce happens, where are you at? Is it dark? Is it positive? Is it mixed emotions? How did you feel? When the divorce happened, I felt light. I felt free. I felt like he can go and live his life and do what he needs to do for him. And the the impetus of us divorcing was the fact that we didn't have any children, the fact that he was a cheater, and it was nothing keeping us together. So it was just like, we're not going to just hold on for the sake of holding on. And just because we're Christian and we don't believe in divorce, we're going to stay married just for the sake of saying we're married. No. So go on, live your life. And that's how that happened. But my emotional state, I was very... Um, free from him, but still my self-esteem was so low because my my esteem was in my womanhood and I felt less than a woman because I couldn't do something naturally. Mm. Yeah, I felt it was very low. I felt like I was not worthy, which is 
why I got connected with my second husband because of where I was in my life, thinking that I, that's the only person I can get, thinking that I was never going to be able to do the, you know, conceive at any point. So that's how that relationship cultivated. You say you made a comment that you felt that the second husband was the only person you can get. So I'm implying from that comment, that sounds like you're implying that that this second husband wasn't anything special, we'll say. Nope. And so you felt that this was a very subpar person, but in your mind, that's all you were worthy the of. best I could do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how yep. quickly did you, I would assume that when you have the opportunity, you're, you're jumping into this relationship as fast as possible. Um, we took a well, considering the first relationship, it was a little slower. So with my first husband, we met and got married five months. With this one, it was ten months. So it was five extra months. <laughs> there you go. You had it, you got so it, you, tried, had a, you had to kick waiting. the tires. You had to kick the tires a little bit more this time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what 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 do you what made you feel that this person is so uh, such a subpar person? What was what was he lacking in your opinion? He was mean. He was a very mean individual. I mean, well, our relationship was up and down. So on the days where he was nice to me, he was nice. But on the days where he wanted to be mean and cold and disregard me, it was that. So it was more of the hard days than the good days. But I felt like I was deserving of the hard days because of my inability. Hmm. So... You knew he was, you knew he had this edge to him before you got married, clearly. Yes. Yes. But you felt, okay, this is, this is all I can do. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. And he obviously knew that you had a, a burning desire to have a child. That was the first conversation we had. Like when I first met him, cause we met at work. So the first conversation, you know, just to know him one another you know i've been i'm getting a divorce you know we don't have any children i have infertility he had a boy and a girl he didn't want any more children so mm -hmm. from the beginning he told me he didn't want any more children so i was like oh that's cool that's nice whatever then when we started talking like he became my boyfriend we revisited the want to have children because i did want to try and so he was like well we can try and so when i told him i was pregnant he said he didn't want me or the baby because it was like we were supposed to do it, but it wasn't supposed to be successful. All right. So you just let's let's go. OK, so let's go there because you guys get married. You're basically now after being with this guy for 10 months, divorced after the 10 years. Now it's almost basically 11 years. Mm -hmm. uh, you still haven't had your first child. And you said it still took up to thir almost 13 years. To, to, see it. Yep. to finally conceive. So you're with this person for basically two years mm -hmm. when you finally conceive. Take us through how do you ultimately get there with the in vitro and what happens? So how did I get there? So I was working for a healthcare organization at our first at my job, but they did not offer enough to cover. So I had to leave that organization and I went to another healthcare organization working for them. And then they were able to cover it. And I just continued the, you know, going to get checked out and following that process. So in, in the middle of that process, I filed for divorce with the second well, one. 
take us take us through the IVF process before we get take take us through it. What give us the step by step for somebody that because most people don't know where, what it even is, how to start, where to. So take us through it at a high level. What what exactly is the process? Where do you start, and how do you ultimately get to it? So you have a consultation with the fertility doctor, and you let them know what your desires are. Then from there, they'll tell you, wait until your period comes and you have two to four days to go get everything checked out. With that, it's a transvaginal ultrasound and they look at your lining of your uterus, your ovaries, and then they take blood work to determine your levels. Then if they determine everything looks good, then you're able to, you know, go forward with becoming, you know, doing the IVF procedure. But for me, like they saw that I had polyps. So, of course, I had to get those removed to make sure that there's a clear landing for the embryo. And then it's just making sure that you can afford the process. And that comes with medication because medication is separate from the actual procedure. Then once all of that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, what exactly what does the procedure look like? How does it occur? So the procedure looks like if as a woman, you know how when you go do a pap smear, you um, get your eggs retrieved, they put you to sleep, and then they take a, like a catheter or a needle, a catheter with a needle, and they extract your eggs. But how do you get those eggs is you have to take stimulating medications for a few, like maybe seven days, and you have to get monitored to make sure that, you know, your levels are good and nothing is being hurt on the inside. And then once everything's ready to drop, that's when they extract them. But And then during that time... yeah. Go ahead. And then during that time with the extraction of the eggs, that's when you can create embryos with the your partner's sperm, or you can just save the eggs for later and then come back and make embryos. So they were your part the mean partner, they were taking his sperm. Yep. So that the, the morning of my egg retrieval, he did his because they don't do it in the office. You have to do it at home. So he ejaculated in a cup and then we brought the sperm to the to the hospital. Okay. Let me ask you a really ignorant question is that they gave you this medicine that actually creates eggs. So why do you need the in vitro process if the medication is creating these, these groups of eggs? Because as a woman, we only create one egg a month and they want to have the but you know the best possible chance so the medication creates multiple eggs mm. so my first round i had 29 eggs retrieved that's yeah. a lot huh that sounds like a lot yes. <laughs> it was a lot but out of the 29 only two were good okay two and, were and one of those two fertilized yep and that's my baby girl Wow. And when, what, what month what, what you found this out exactly when, what date was this? So I did my, retru- I did my transfer, um, November 22nd of 2019. And I got my first positive pregnancy test, November 29th, 2019. Wow. That day, take us back to that day. Tell us, how did you find out? And then what was the emotion? Okay, so for me, like I said, I'm controlling. So I started taking a pregnancy test the day of the day of my transfer. And so and I also was going through it at this time with other people. So I had two other girlfriends that one lived in Texas and one lived in North Carolina and they were testing early. So when they got theirs at five days and I didn't get mine, I was sad. So I started at two days and I didn't get my first positive pregnancy test until seven days after. 
Okay. And, and then, then I tested every single day for the first trimester. But when you get the the finally, Erica, I, we, we, I don't want to gloss over this because this is this is 13 years in the making. This is 4,000 plus days in the making. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to minimize how crazy that moment must have been for you. Mm-hmm. Did you cry? I was excited. No, I didn't cry. I was excited. I was happy. I was thankful. Like to finally see two lines. I've never seen two lines a day in my life. So to finally see those two lines, and I still have that pregnancy test actually, but <laughs> but to finally you. see two lines, I was I was just thankful. And it was just like we've come this far. And then, but then as much as I was happy when I gave him the pregnancy test and he told me. I don't want you or the baby. It was just like, then all the life went out and becomes just like, this is the happiest moment of my life. And it's also the saddest one too. Cause it's just like, I filed for divorce. Like I said, during, during the process with him, I filed divorce because it was just hard and I couldn't take it. Yeah. Well, there's probably several things going on there. Number one, you want to celebrate uh, when you get the news, you're overjoyed, but you're also probably very cautious. Like, hey, I, I don't want to get too excited. What if, God forbid, something happens? What if I miscarry? Like, you're probably very, like you said, you kept taking tests, tests. Uh, like, you you probably were very. But I didn't feel nothing. She did. Yeah, I didn't feel right. not a single so thing. You're no, going, I had no. You're, you're going, if I celebrate this too much right now and then something, God forbid, happens, I'm going to be like the lowest Devastated. I've ever been. Right. Yeah. And then he tells you after you finally get the positive test that he doesn't want the child. Didn't you ask him why in the world did you agree to go along with this then? What was his response? He doesn't have one. Um, He just said we can try. So try just meant that we were supposed to go through it. And it just was because we we know we have, I have a history. So we've done this before and it didn't work. So he was supposed to go through it and then it's supposed to go back to business as usual. Unsuccessful. And we did it. We tried. You tried. You got what you finally wanted. He was part of the plan all along with you. Uh, yeah. He knew it. He knew it. He voluntarily ejaculated in that cup. Nobody uh, forced him to. Nope. And and then he, you ultimately do get pregnant, and he's going, oh, no, this is not really That's what not I what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, I was just supply. I was just a trusted babysitter for his children and supplemental income. Like, I, he never cared about me as a person my needs desires nothing so it was just like night and day going through the process with the first one versus the second one so you're pregnant and then you get divorced from this man in the at what how many months into the pregnancy now that the divorce happens so my daughter so my daughter's birth due date was august 9th she came august 13th and my divorce was final the day after her birth so i filed for divorce and it was during covid so i filed for divorce in may because you know the whole world was shut down and it was just it just happened where she was conceived and born in wetlock and the very next day it was just me and her so she was born it was at may of 2020 no she was born august 13th of oh august you said okay august yeah so August thirteenth, twenty twenty. Well, happy third birthday! You guys just celebrated yep. two days. Celebrating, yes, yes. Um, so you end up getting divorced while you're pregnant. You you guys are the, the relationship was pretty much over with at the beginning of you finding out. So eight months, nine months of of are you guys living together during that time? 
No, so I stayed with him for the first 11 weeks. And then after that, I mean, I got the silent treatment. I wasn't feeling my best. He didn't care about me. So after that, then I moved, removed myself. It took my name off the lease and I moved back with my parents. Mm. So what what is that? I mean, you're, you're trying to be happy and excited about this, this finally after 13 years. And then you're now dealing with the worries and the concerns of the unknown of I'm going to finally have a child that I'm responsible for, and I'm going to be the Lone Ranger all by myself trying to care for this child. That had to be terrifying. It was very terrifying. It was very sad because this is not what I dreamed. I dreamed of having a mother and father and, you know, children, several children together. My parents are happily married going on 41 years. So it's just sad that my daughter didn't get to experience that. So how do you handle this, Erica, from an emotional standpoint? How do you find your village? I have my parents and I have counseling. I have a counselor. So when I so when I was 16 weeks, I believe, that's when I met my counselor and I've been with her ever since because it was just, you know, I had a lot of anxiety associated with him, a lot of um fear because he was always like verbally mean and would say things. So just not being able being able to process it healthily and not really take what he says and, and ingesting it. So, but my parents are my village, my brother and my niece and nephew. So like, you know, my immediate family. Uh, how, how important is it when you're in, in times of adversity, how important is it to have that support system, that village? Oh, it's very important because you don't want to feel like you're going through life all by yourself. You know, that could be depressing as well as whatever you're going through. So having somebody who can, you know, understand or can just be a shoulder to cry on or just be a listening ear, that's always beneficial. What was the most challenging thing the first year of having your child? Is there one thing? Doing it alone. Doing it alone and feeling like I don't have, because even though I do have my parents, the the responsibility is 100% on me. So it was just everything falling on me. Everything was you, everything fell on your shoulders at the end of the day. Yep. And and taking care of a child by yourself is a tremendously, I mean, I've never done it by myself. I know how hard it is to do with somebody else. It's a hard task. It is. And it's just, you know, like I said, I don't have no, even though my parents are there, I feel like because they're the grandparents, they're not the parents. So like, if she needs to be changed, I can't say change her. I got to do it. You know, I can't say, hey, she needs a bottle. I got to do it. Now, they'll help if they see it, but I can't say this is, you know, like what? it's just, it was just a different dynamic. And it was what about just, work. How, how did you manage the balance, the work and, and the daycare and all that kind of stuff? So I worked overnight. So I worked 7, 7 p.m. to 7.30 a.m. And during those hours, she slept. And then at 15 months, that's when she went to daycare. Wow. And daycare is expensive. So I pay two weeks. My mother pays the other two weeks because I don't get vouchers or anything. That first year had to be a blur for you looking back. No, I remember everything clearly. I was very hands on. Like even when I woke, even when I came home, I wouldn't even go to sleep until she took her first nap. So it was like I didn't want to miss anything. You know, I didn't want to let the fact that I was doing it by myself make me miss anything. So it's a, it was. Were, were there any days or nights, maybe some during some of the, the real tough days that you'd have throughout the course of the first year that you had any kind of regret that you actually went through with this process? 
I do have, I, I wouldn't say the regret, but I don't like the fact that I am connected to that individual. I feel like because I filed for divorce, a, I filed for divorce on my birthday the year prior to conceiving. So I, I don't like the fact that I'm connected to that person. Mm. That's the and only you, thing. You wish, you wish that you would have used different sperm donor, we'll say. Yeah. Yes. Interesting, because you feel like, hey, it really was. It was the eggs that mattered in this situation. Most likely, any other sperm would have would have been fine. But I'm thankful for my baby girl. I love her to death. She's amazing, and every day she's missing out. And he hasn't been part of her life in three years. He has no. So he did. He so the person that did not want her was in her life for the first. Two and a half years, and then he has disappeared since. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. It's his uh, loss. So, when in the you, you're how far along into this process do you then you then go through IVF a second time? Is that correct? Yes. So because so I was okay with being a single mother to my baby girl. The reason why I went through it again, totally single, is because of her. I'm the oldest of four children. She loves people. She has the most life and love. And I couldn't deprive her of a sibling just because of my relationship status. Mm. So I did use a donor sperm, anonymous donor sperm from a cryobank to conceive my son. Wow. That's an extremely selfless act that you just that you went through. I mean, you, you went through a whirlwind of 13, 14, 15 years at this point. Yep. And to have the courage to say, I'm going to give this little girl of mine a sibling. Was it a girl or a boy? The second. He's a boy. So I have a baby. A baby. She has her. And she calls him her baby. That's her baby. (laughs) And they're what? They're what? How far apart in age? Two and a half years. Okay. Okay. So your your other baby is like six months at this point. Six months. He's six months now. Yep. There you go. And you've been doing this again, same thing, single parent, you got your support system, but you're you're the lone ranger making raising these kids. Yep. Wow. Yep. And and is there anything different the second time around from the first? Let's sleep. Um, he was a preemie. He came six weeks early. So there was a lot more stress with this pregnancy than it was with Ariel. And so the difference is my parents really, you know, stepping in when I was stuck in the hospital, um, being stuck on bed rest, not being able to fully, you know, participate with her. So the difference is I wasn't able to be hands on with her because of being stuck in hospital with him. Mm-hmm. And then there was one time when he was still in the NICU and then she had an asthma attack. So I was going back and forth between the ED and the NICU. Yeah, and that was like two days after giving birth. It was God hard. bless you. God bless you, Erica. Yeah. That's that's you're a uh, you're a machine. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, that's you're you're a very unique person to be able to do all this and do it with a smile. Thank you. One of the things you preach too, uh, before we get to the book, I, one of the things you preach is is learning. It's okay to ask for help, and so many mm-hmm. people struggle doing that. So, talked about did you struggle? And then if you did, how do you how do you change that mindset? Yes, I struggle. I struggle every day because I'm a very controlling person. I try to feel like I have everything together and I'm supposed to do it because it's my responsibility. So asking for help is hard for me, but I know it's very crisp, critical 
to ask for help or else I would be burnt out and I would be in the corner crying somewhere. So, you know, you know what you can do. You know what your limits are. And then if you need help, just be like, can I get two seconds? Can I go take a bath without having hands underneath the, <laughs> underneath the door? You know, it, so. it takes it takes a strong person to be able to have to not be too prideful to say, I need a little help here. Yes, because we, we so often associate asking for help as a weakness. Being weak. Nope. It means you're strong. It means you know your limits. And once you know your limit. Then you can say, I need I need assistance. I can't do this all alone. And I'm very thankful for my parents. I'm very thankful that for these past three years, they have been there. They have been able to help me, help Ariel. The love that Ariel has for them is tremendous. And I love it. You know, she tells on me. It's like, <laughs> if, I, if I tell her no, she'll go run and say whatever in her little language. I'm just like, but I love it. You know, I wouldn't have it no other way. And that takes us to the book, Married to the Dream. An IVF journey. Uh, you wrote the book. It looks like you and your mother together yes. have, have written this book. So give us a high level synopsis. What exactly is the book about? We kind of know we've talked about a lot of it, but tell us a little bit more about the book and, and who really the, who, who your audience that you tailored the book for. So Married to the Dream is about me being a divorcee, but I still got my dream of my babies. So I'm married to the dream of my, you know, being a mother. And the book is for anybody going through anything, really, but specifically those that are dealing with infertility, those that still haven't received their positive pregnancy test, and they still have hope. They still, you know, I want to offer hope. You know, just believe it, dream it, and just keep the faith. Like, that is what I really believe because only you know when you can't do it anymore. Only you know when you can't take that last, you know, disappointment but you never know the next month could be the month or the next doctor could be you know so i just feel like don't stop until you want to stop don't let nobody talk you into you're doing too much this is too much or whatever this is an extremely inspirational story there, there's yeah. no doubt about it and there's people out there that are in similar situations to you maybe it's not mm -hmm. 13 years but maybe it's 13 months maybe it's three years maybe it's five years whatever it is yeah, a lot of the, these people do feel hopeless at this point, as you know, and yes. being able to hear it from you, see it and, and pick up and read your book, I think is it's the hope that keeps people going. These types yes, of that's that's my desire, you know, just to give hope and know that you're not alone, mm. you know, know that somebody is, went through it. And I always feel like I went through what I went through so that someone else didn't have to go through it, you know. So some people wouldn't be able to handle the disappointment every month or whatever. So it's like you are strong enough to go through it and you're going to get through it. Mm. Perfectly said. Uh, Married to the Dream. We'll link the book here in the show notes. Anywhere else you want people to find you, website, social media, et cetera. I'm social media dark. So my mother, C. Natasha Richburg, she has the YouTubes and the Facebooks and the LinkedIn's. But me personally, I removed myself from social media just because of, you know, my mental. I didn't need all that in me. Mm. You're you're a healthy per you're healthier than most people by just removing yourself because yes. people are stuck scrolling and it's a yep. nasty cycle. That's a vicious it's, cycle. Yeah. And I was just like, nope, no more. And I've been away for for three years. What about the dating apps? Come on, you must be on some of those. 
Oh, well, I have found my person. So I've been oh. on the dating app. Yes, yeah, so I've been on the dating apps from the beginning. But what I do is I would get on, get off, get on, get off. Because, again, I don't like all of that, you know, meeting all these different people and all that energy in me. Right. So, but I found my person. He's my forever. And oh. I don't got to be on none of them apps anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Because I was going to ask you, I was going to say, what's next in terms of your, your love life? And it sounds like you've got it figured out. Yes, I have my honey. So he's my forever. And he chooses me. He chooses my children. You know, we have a blended family of two adult children, two little babies and three grandchildren. Oh, so, wow. well, yeah. listen, Erica, uh, you're blessed and uh, you'll no doubt continue to have a positive impact on people through your work. Uh, married to the dream, guys. We linked it in the show notes. Erica, fascinating conversation. Really appreciate the insight. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you.